Good morning, Wisconsin. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 837. Yeah, this this is the show being done in just a couple hours sleep. Because like I say, I don't, I don't go to bed as early as I should. And last night about 2 a.m., I wake up when I hear this peal of thunder. Boom! And then about three seconds later, my little dog wakes up. And uh, she was kind of traumatized for the next hour and a half or two hours. I'm trying to comfort her. Then the thunder and the rain stops. And then we get the hailstorm, which completely freaked her out. But... I'm happy to report that she was sleeping happily this morning and is probably taking a nap right now. Um, so uh, if you survived last night, what, what an interesting night. Speaking of an interesting night, before we start the show, I want to say a special shout-out. Uh, last night was the annual Eagle Scout Awards Ceremony out for the, for the Pottawatomie Area Council, which is essentially Waukesha. This is the 15th year, 15 years in a row, that I have emceed the event. I, I, every year, I, I agree to do it. And then I kind of whine a little bit on the day of the thing because it's like, okay, I, I'm home, I'm tired, I want to put on a suit. Last night, the roads going from the North Shore out to, it's held at the Country Springs Hotel every year. There were collisions, there were accidents. What, what should be a 40-minute trip turns into an hour and 15-minute trip. You know, then it's raining coming back. But, but whenever I get there, I, I, the word I always use is life-affirming, and I know a number of people who listened to the show were there last night because they, they all came up and said hi. But this, it is an amazing thing. It's one of the reasons why I am so thrilled to be even peripherally involved in scouting because th- this is an event for at least the, the Waukesha Area Council. What they do is they recognize the adult scout leaders who have contributed over the years, and they also recognize all the young men who have gotten Eagle Scout awards over the course of the last year. So this would be 2016. I think last year there were like 130-some young men who got these, these Eagle Scout awards. Now, not all of them were there last night. Because some are off in college or some couldn't make it. But I'd say we had about 75 or so. And at one point in the evening, what happens is the, 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 they all line up and they come in one by one. They come up to one of the sets of microphones and they say their name. And I read a little bit about their their background, you know, who they are, what troop they're from, what their Eagle Service project was, what they want to do. And then they, they move off the stage and then they sort of line up behind me. It, you want to talk about something that is just incredibly life-affirming. You, you hear all these, these young people and all the great projects that they've done and what they want to do with their life, and you just see these incredibly bright futures, and it's just, again, it is incredibly rewarding. So congratulations to all the Eagle Scouts out there. Congratulations to all the moms and dads that made that happen. It was just um, a wonderful, wonderful event, and I am pleased to be part of it. Elvis, who is producing the show today. Interesting thing, though. When they prepare a sheet for me for each young man, and so I, I read this off, and it includes what they want to do. For the second year in a row, again, we're talking, I don't know, maybe 75 young, young men. For the second year in a row, not a single one of the kids wanted to be a lawyer. Not a single kid wanted to be a lawyer, and not a single kid wanted to be a journalist. It's it, it, two years in a row. Um, mostly they wanted to be engineers, uh, aerospace engineers, mechanical engineers, all this type of stuff. That That's the overriding thing. We want to be an engineer. We want to be an engineer. No, there were other things as well. But I, I was actually commenting on it. Nobody wants to be a lawyer anymore. Nobody wants to be a journalist anymore. One kid last night wanted to study political science. And I told him he was coming around at a really, really interesting time to want to do that. But it's, it's just, it's fascinating. So thanks once again to everybody at the Pottawatomie Council. To the, We must have had probably going on four, 450 people out there. So um, once again, it's just, again, it's life-affirming to me, and I appreciate you sharing 
that event with me. All right, three big things. We start off with the story out of MPS, the Milwaukee Public School System. They, the school board, by a vote of 8 to 1 yesterday, has decided that starting next semester, there will be uniforms that will be essentially mandatory at all Milwaukee public schools. Now, there is an opt-out provision under strict guidelines, but the the bottom line is for most of the kids, the uniform, the basic district uniform, shall be tan, navy blue, or black khaki-style pants, a skirt or jumper, and a navy blue or black long-sleeve shirt with a collar. According to the dress code, school colors might also be allowed. So this is going to be the district policy. Individual schools could opt out, but it is unlikely that that is going to happen. Uh, MPS apparently is also planning to make available $20 to families for each student as a start on purchasing uniforms. But big school system now saying we're going to do what private or parochial schools have been doing for years. We are going to require school uniforms. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. This is big story number one. We start off the program every day with three big stories, things to discuss around the water cooler at the coffee closet or at lunch. This is a big deal, I think. School uniforms mandatory in MPS. Is this a good idea? Do you support them? And should more school districts, public school districts, follow suit? 414-799-1620 is the number we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 843. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 846, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Coming up during the 9 o'clock hour, we'll be giving away a pair of tickets to see Roger Waters of Pink Floyd fame at the BMO Harris Bradley Center on July 29th. Stick around for that. Big thing number one, yesterday MPS announces school uniforms for all kids. I'm looking at one of the TV stations' coverage of this, and they, they quote they quote a six-year-old, a sixth-grade student, um, and with the insight that only, I guess, a 12-year-old can offer, she says, anyone who truly wants students to be happy and successful could see that uniforms are a ludicrous proposition. So it's ludicrous to make kids wear uniforms, at least in the eyes of one of the sixth graders. What do you think? 414-799-1620, Mike in Whitefish Bay. Mike, good morning. Morning. Um, I think this is a great idea. And the quote that you just uh, quoted, <laughs> I saw that girl yesterday. She had um, dyed pink hair, I believe, when she made that statement. So, I mean, she's all about her individual expression, which is great, but my kids have gone to parochial schools, uh, and I I just think it levels the playing field. It makes everybody the same. They can focus on their studies. They don't have to worry about who has the new genes or who has the, you know, whatever. And they can focus on their studies, and I think it will really help in the high schools because there, I think it's a lot bigger issue, and, and, you know, kids could get bullied for not having the new and latest things. Well, and mom and dad, mom and dad don't have to fight the culture war battles. Mom and dad don't have to have the argument about that skirt's too short, or, you know, your bra strap is hanging out, or that t-shirt that you're wearing is inappropriate. You, you don't, you don't have to have that fight. It kind of levels the playing field. It takes, it takes that, that whole fashion issue out of play for at least the school day. And then, again, if, if you want to, I'm with you, if you want to express yourself, go with God, but, but do that after school. Do that on weekends. Do that in evenings. Yeah, and once you get a couple pairs of uniforms, 
and you can they just rotate, and then at the beginning of every school year, right. they can do it like all the parochial schools. Uh, bring in your last year's uniform if your kid doesn't fit it anymore, and you can. There's a consignment area. You just put them there. Right. They give you, a, you know, three or four bucks, and then you can buy, you know, somebody else's used uniform if you if you want to save money. And that's, I mean, because they. They, they just recycle everything. Yeah. So I think it's a great idea. No, thanks for call. 414-799. I see. I, I agree. I don't, this idea that, gee, we're concerned because we're going to not, the, the 12-year-old isn't going to be able to express herself. Well, sorry, dear. I mean, that that's not, school is not, school is not the place for you to express yourself in your fashion sense. There's all sorts of other ways that you will have to express yourself and to demonstrate your individuality. But I would think from the perspective of parents out there, this would be an absolute godsend. First of all, I do believe, big picture, you are going to save money for a lot of the reasons that Mike was talking about. You you have you can recycle stuff. It's easier for the hand-me-downs. You know what the, the schools, you're, you're going to be able to, again, the, the, I'm sure the PTA will provide these type of things. You're going to be able to buy the, the hand-me-down clothing. You're not going to be under constant pressure to say, oh, my gosh, you know, what? What's the hippest, trendiest thing out there? And everybody's wearing, you know, Elvis brand tops now that they're selling for you, $125 a blouse. So we have to go out and buy that because if we don't buy that, my kid is going to be, you know, abused because he or she doesn't have the doesn't have the, the hottest pair of designer jeans or the hottest shirt. I mean, it's just I think this is one of the situations where from the perspective of mom and dad, it makes your life a lot easier easier to be able to go do this and again the, the morning battle i don't have kids but i have to imagine for many families that it's an ongoing fight about what is appropriate and what is not appropriate to wear to school and you know who, who needs these type of battles seriously i mean i actually think i think it's good for mps and i think it would be good for other school districts as well 414-799-1620 gail and raymond gail good morning you're on 620 wtmj Good morning. I'm absolutely for it, and it's long overdue. I agree with most of the people that have the pro statement. The other thing is I don't know how far, if they're getting into high school with this or how far it's going. But the other thing is the modesty. We have entirely lost that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this will be a, yeah, it puts everybody on the same um, playing field, as you said, and it helps kids focus on what's important, right. what they're doing in school, their person, and not what they're wearing. And if they want to express themselves, they have more time after school than they need to do that. <laughs> right, and, and there, there are there are weekends, and they're hanging out with yeah. your, your friends. And if if and again, we, we always have the, these arguments about what's appropriate, what's inappropriate for schools. Yeah. And it's like angels dancing on the head of a pin. You know, you, you say, okay, well this this is, this is too low cut or whatever. Yeah. Well, how dare you tell me I can't wear this low cut? This just eliminates all that kind exactly. of stuff. And that's very important. I'm all for it. Absolutely. Now, thanks. You see, I just again, I agree with you, Gail. I think this is something that is that is long overdue, and my guess is it will be embraced by the vast majority of parents. And I, I think, from the perspective of the kids, I mean, I don't know. I know there's you, you know you, you maybe perhaps you know you came up through the parochial school system where you know there there were the school uniforms and again we're we're not talking about military uniforms we're talking about you wear khaki pants and you wear you know a collar dress shirt or whatever it's going to be or you wear a polo shirt it, it's 
it's it, it's not like, gee, you know, somebody has to. I, for two years when I was a kid, I went to a military school when I was in third and fourth grade. Okay, I mean, that, those you had like the actual uniforms where, you know, you, you dressed up like soldiers and things like that. That's not what this is. This is you're wearing a pair of khaki pants. You're wearing a polo short shirt or a collared shirt. Um, is that is that really going to be the end of the world? No, I think, again, I agree. Long overdue. That's big thing. Number one, big thing. Number two. I couldn't start off the show with this one because my blood pressure would go through the roof. If you are a police officer in the city of Madison or perhaps anywhere in the state, there is a financial target on your back today. We discuss. It's 852. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 856, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Big thing number two, if you work in law enforcement anywhere in the state today, the city of Madison has put a huge financial target on your back. Now, let me back into this topic. There in, in the law is that such a thing. We used to call them nuisance values of cases. It, it is If there's a lawsuit, even if the lawsuit has no merit, You have to defend the lawsuit, so there is a cost in doing that. In addition, even if you think you have a very, very strong case, there's always the chance that you could lose. So sometimes you will have settlements for what I would describe as nuisance value. You sit there and say, okay, it's just not worth taking. We think we're going to win, but it's going to cost you a bunch of money to defend this case, and there's always the chance that you might lose. So here, we'll, we'll throw some money at the case, and we'll settle it. So there's always, there is always that. And then there is what happened in Madison yesterday. You're probably, I think, familiar with this case. There was a shooting of a 19-year-old man named Tony Robinson about a year and a half ago. What happens is the kid is high on all sorts of stuff. He has been assaulting people in the street. He's back up in his apartment where there's apparently something else going on. The police get a call. Police officer shows up. And this is not a bad cop. It's not a rogue cop. It's a highly decorated police officer. He is the first on the scene. He goes into like a stairwell to go up to the apartment where there is disturbance. The 19-year-old, who once again is high on whatever, comes racing down the stairs. It's a narrow stairwell and assaults the police officer. The police officer shoots and kills him. It is a tragic thing. It is unfortunate it happened. The State Department of Justice looks at it. The district attorney, the lefty district attorney in Dane County, looks at it, and they all determine that the police officer, there's no basis for criminal charges. He, he did he did everything according to Hoyle. He shows up to answer this complaint, and the problem, while it is unfortunate, is you have a 19-year-old kid who is high on whatever who is acting out. All right? That is, of course, not the end of this matter. So even though there's no basis for criminal charges, the family, grieving family, files a lawsuit against the city, against the police officer, against the um, you know, department in general, alleging all these type of things. Yesterday, the city makes the decision to settle this case. And when I, when I heard they were going to settle it, I thought, okay, fine, maybe maybe this is one of these like nuisance value settlements. You're going to throw a little bit of money to make this you know go away because it's going to cost you to defend the case. The settlement was for three point three million M as in million dollars. 
which I believe may be the largest settlement in a police case, certainly in Dane County, maybe in the state. Uh, let's see. The reported settlement of $3.35 million eclipses the $2.3 million settlement the city made in 2012 in the shooting death of someone else. The, the Madison police chief is upset. The police union is upset. Um, the officer, I am told, is extremely upset. Statewide police union is upset. And I think cops everywhere around the state deserve to be upset because now this sets a precedent that even if you do something that is completely and totally appropriate, you're going to have communities and their insurers who are not going to have your back and will throw millions of dollars to make some of these cases go away. 414-799-1620, That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. It is, in my opinion, an outrage that this case was settled for this amount of money. What do you think? We discuss right after the news. 859, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Nine oh nine, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. We're right in the middle of our three big things segment. Hey, a quick reminder: sometime this hour, sometime before ten o'clock, we're going to be giving away a pair of tickets to see Roger Waters of Pink Floyd fame at the BMO Harris Bradley Center in July. Um, and also, all next week, we've got tickets to give away as well. How cool is that? In addition, let me call your attention to WTMJ.com, our main page. We we now have, we podcast my show. I know lots of people download it. I appreciate that. We podcast every edition of Sports Central. And we have a number of other uh, podcasts that we feature, voices you don't hear on the radio. They're very, very interesting. So check that out. But for my show, you can download it. You can be notified when there's the new podcasts that are available. And I know a lot of people are listening to that because we track where it comes from. People all over the world. I think that is very, very cool. Big thing number two, and I just couldn't start off with this because it, it just it is so aggravating to me. As a recovering attorney, I appreciate that there is a settlement value to a case, that sometimes you have these cases that you think don't have any merit at all, but regardless, you want to pay to make them go away. All right, I understand that because you could always lose them and you've got to pay legal fees. But there are cases and cases and situations where I think it is important to Stand up on principle and stand up for what is right. And what happened in Madison yesterday is, in my opinion, a complete and total travesty. You have a police officer who a year and a half ago, responding to a call, was apparently attacked by a 19-year-old kid who was high on drugs. All right, It's, It's an unfortunate situation, attacked by a kid who... In a narrow stairwell, the officer shoots him. The matter has been investigated, no violation of police procedures, no basis for criminal charges at all. And I appreciate that there's a difference in a civil standard in a criminal case. I also appreciate that you're talking about the People's Republic of Madison, where you can always get a bunch of idiot jurors who decide we're going to throw a bunch of money at a case. But in my opinion, to settle for $3.3 million in a case where you have a police officer who was required to use deadly force because he was attacked, is an absolute and total outrage. And here is the bigger picture as to why it is so bad. You have now put a settlement like this puts a financial target on the back of every other man and woman who is working in law enforcement in this state. Because every time you now have an encounter with somebody who has committed crimes and the encounter does not work out to the satisfaction of the defendant, the criminal. There's a, this is now the precedent for a lawsuit. Hey, sue 
the guy in Madison, uh, his family was able to collect $3.3 million, even though the police officer did nothing wrong. Here, we're going to sue. We're going to sue, and we're going to try to force settlements. This sets an absolutely appalling precedent. It also sends a clear message at least to every man and woman who works for the Madison Police Department, that the city does not have your back. That if you if you are engaged in law enforcement and you have an encounter that somebody in the community doesn't like the way it turned out and you you know they sue, you will be hung out to dry. Now, I appreciate that the officer is not going to have to be reaching into his own pocket to come up with a settlement, but he will forever be branded as a police officer who, uh, even though the city doesn't admit to any liability, come on, $3.3 million, the officer was never given his day in court. The officer was never given a chance to clear his name because of the decision made by the city of Madison and apparently whatever the insurance company is. And by the way, if you're a taxpayer in Madison, you're going to be paying for this one way or the other because even if there was insurance that was involved, that's factored in when you know, rates come around. This was an appalling decision. I am sorry the young man lost his life. That is a tragedy. But at the same time, you have to stand up for police officers. And to settle a case like this when a police officer has done, in my opinion, absolutely nothing wrong is a horrible precedent that will come back and continue to haunt not only this police officer, not only the Madison Police Department, but I think law enforcement officers all across the state. Madison does not have your back. And I do sympathize with the Madison chief of police. And one of the things he says, how are we going to go out and recruit people? How can we convince anybody to work for the city of Madison Police Department when we have sent a clear message? That is, the city itself has sent a clear message. They do not have your back. They will give in to the whims of the public. They will settle cases to make them go away. They will not stand up and have you vindicated even though you did nothing wrong. It is appalling. Nothing short of that. Big thing number three, if you were getting off the airplane, what would you have done? Stick around. It's 914. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It is 916, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Once again, so very glad to have you with us on a 32 degrees. What was it? Almost 70 the other day. We're just a few days away from the debut of Scafidi and Bilstadt. Steve Scafidi and Eric Bilstadt bring you the day's top stories through their lens. Don't miss the first edition of Scafidi and Bilstadt Tuesday at noon. All right. Big thing number three. How would you have reacted? Yesterday, or actually it it was Wednesday night, there was a flight. San Francisco to New York cross-country flight when the flight landed in new york there were customs agents waiting waiting in new york as people deplaned it landed at jfk about eight o'clock wednesday night and there were customs agents waiting as people deplaned as people got off the plane the customs agents asked to see identification Asked people for identification. They were working on a report that there was an individual, an illegal alien, who was on the plane. 
the illegal alien had received apparently a deportation order after multiple criminal convictions for domestic assault, drunk driving, and violating a protective order. So they get a tip that there's a guy who is subject to deportation, who has committed various crimes, who is on this flight. And I think they also believe that he might be traveling under an assumed name. So they are asking people, as they get off the plane, to produce identification. All right? Um, This prompted several passengers to post photos online and has created this huge firestorm of controversy. Um, Guy with the New York Civil Liberties Union said that law enforcement officials sometimes board planes to apprehend a fugitive, but it's unusual for authorities to wait outside an arriving airplane and ask for identification for each passenger. They'll occasionally pull someone off a flight, or officers will come on and make an arrest. It's much more surgical thing than setting up a dragnet. That is what is so alarming about the way that this played out. Okay, so you're getting off a flight. You are flying San Francisco to Milwaukee. As you are deplaning, there's a couple agents there that are asking people for their identification. Is this a scandal, or would you have any problem saying, okay, sure, here, here's my identification, here's my passport, here's my you know driver's license, whatever. Now, is this an outrage that customs, folk, customs people, in an effort to try to apparently catch somebody who was supposedly subject to deportation after committing a series of crimes, they got a report that the guy was on the plane, is it unreasonable for them to ask for people's identification as they're coming off the plane? 414-799-1620-800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. And let's personalize this. If that if that happened to you, you're coming back from you're coming back from Las Vegas, you're coming back from California, you're coming back from Florida or whatever, and as you are deplaning, there's a couple law enforcement agents at the you know end of the thing when you're coming out um, of the jetway who are asking you for identification. Is this an outrage? Should they be allowed to do this? Were they out of bounds in doing it? We discuss next. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. I mean, I don't know about you, but, I mean, I have my photo identification with me because you needed to get through security. And if somebody asked to see it as I'm getting off the plane because they're trying to determine whether there's an outstanding warrant for me, and I know there's not, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I'm pulling out the passport, showing it to them, and moving on. 414-799-1620 is the number we discuss next. 921, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We don't need no education. 923, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, Wednesday, flight from San Francisco to New York. Customs agents get a tip that there's a guy who's on this flight, illegal alien who's subject to deportation, apparently um, violated a, a Domestic abuse orders, drunk driving, various criminal activity. They get a tip that he's on the plane. They set up at the end of the jetway. As people are deplaning, they are asking people for identification. Turns out he's not on the plane, so they don't catch him. But now the controversy is, how dare these agents ask people for their identification as they're getting off the plane? Was that really that outrageous? Christina in Hartford. Christina, good morning. Good morning. I don't think it's outrageous at all. I would have definitely been cooperative. As a matter of fact, I would have turned around and said, how can I help you find him? 
Yeah, well, well, well right. I mean, I, again, first of all, you, you, you have to have identification to fly on the plane, so it's not like you're going to be asking people for something that they don't have. Might it be a little bit of an inconvenience? Okay, but, I mean, I have no, I've got nothing to hide. I have no trouble with showing my driver's license or my passport to the agent, and then they let you go on their way. It's not like you're being arrested. Right. And, you know, given the things that this person has done, who wants that person in their community? I mean, come on, people. I don't care if he's illegal or not. I, I do care. But putting that aside, who would want a person like that in their society not owning up to their, you know, right. transgression? Yeah, no, thanks. I mean, I'm with you. Now, again, I guess, you know, you can change the facts a little bit. And, and one of the questions would be, what if somebody is unable to produce well you'd probably you'd have to get the identity you'd have to have some identification to get on, on the plane but what if somehow it comes it turns out that you know somebody else who's on the plane is a wanted fugitive and when they produce the identification you know it, it sets off all sorts of bells and whistles that's kind of again a theoretical type of thing but even in that case i don't have a problem with it if i'm on a commercial airliner and you know whether it's the airline or whether it's tsa or whether it's the police as i'm getting off the plane if they want to see my identification what is the big deal Glenn in Brookfield. Glenn, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Um, I feel the same as the last caller. There's absolutely no reason why you can't be asked that. It's better for everybody else involved. You don't think it's unreasonably an unreasonable intrusion on your rights to be required to, or at least asked, to produce identification? No, not at all, because I already was asked once on my way in. Why shouldn't I be asked on the way out? Yeah, I guess. Thanks. I guess. See, I'm looking at that as well. Now, I mean, I don't know. Again, I'm trying to play this out. What if somebody refuses to provide identification? Does that give the police a right to detain them or whatever? I, I don't know. I'd have to kind of think that through. But who who wouldn't provide identification in this particular case? Who wouldn't willingly? What sort of person wouldn't willingly cooperate with the police? No, I'm not the guy you're looking for. You know, here's my identification. Fine, thank you, sir. Have a nice day. Okay, boom. You you just kind of is it a minor inconvenience? Yes, but. I mean, I don't care if it's somebody that they're looking for, again, because they're subject to a deportation order, or somebody that the police have a tip that you've got a, a fugitive, you've got a bank robber, you've got a wanted murderer, you've got a big drug dealer who might be on that plane, and they might maybe assume or think that the person's flying under an assumed name with false ID. I don't know what the thing is, but I don't have a problem cooperating in this regard, and I don't think most people would. Scott in Menominee Falls. Scott, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hey Jeff, welcome nice. to the morning. Yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Hey, don't don't change don't don't change the facts, Jeff. The facts are the guy's here illegally. Yep. He committed three crimes, and he's got a deportation order against him. Yep. So I have absolutely no problem with them trying to find this guy and getting him out of here. He even even if that country. even if that means that you might be momentarily inconvenienced because you're going to have to show your ID and maybe wait a little bit of a little bit longer than you otherwise would because the cops are there asking other people for their ID. Hey, bummer, dude. Like the lady said before, <laughs> he doesn't belong in our community. You know, if you're gonna if you're not going to be here illegally, if you're here illegally and you're not going to follow our laws, which you're not following him anyway by being here illegally in the first place. You don't belong here. Um, thanks to the call, Scott. Bummer, dude. I like that. It's like, okay, I was driving out to Pewaukee yesterday. It took me a little bit longer because of traffic on the roadway. Bummer, dude. I mean, it's just the way it is. That's exactly right. I think, see, that kind of sums it up. All right, I'm trying to get off. I, I understand. I'm trying to get off the plane. I want to get to, you know, the rental car area. I want to pick up my car as quickly as possible. But you know what? 
if, if I've got to wait a couple extra minutes while the police try to catch somebody who is has outstanding warrants for them for whatever reason, um, it might be a minor inconvenience. But that's exactly right. Bummer, dude. Let's move on, I tell you. But it is amazing what people get upset with. This is the latest controversy. How dare the immigration people ask people for identification looking to try to find a fugitive? Well, I don't know about you, but I want them to catch the fugitive. It's 928, Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Yeah, just kind of, ugh. These are the things that just sort of just drive me absolutely crazy when it comes to what gets some people upset. Nearly every business in the retail and service industries has employees following a schedule. A local company shares some scheduling tips in the latest Tech Wisconsin podcast that is available now on the WTMJ mobile app. And yeah, like I say, check out the mobile app page. Um, we've got downloads of all sorts of things. My show, uh, the podcast of my show, the podcast of Sports Central, but a lot of other podcasts of voices that you don't hear on the radio on a regular basis. All right. The People's Republic of Shorewood. The irony of this position is just absolutely stunning. You know, Shorewood is, of course, one of the liberal enclaves in, in the area. It used to be that when UWM professors got tenure, they, they moved to Shorewood. Shorewood is a bastion of liberal thinking, and it reflects the people on the Shorewood Village Board. It reflects a lot of the people that live in Shorewood. It is the bastion of liberal thinking. And Shorewood, I, I, one of the reasons I love this story is because it demonstrates quite clearly that at least people in Shorewood government have absolutely no sense of irony. And I will tell you all about it in just a couple minutes. Nine thirty-five. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. Two people from two different walks of life discuss the news today. It's the Friday Forum on WTMJ today. Former prosecutor Ken Kratz of Stephen Avery fame and MSD, MMSD executive director Kevin Schaefer join Eric Bilstadt in studio at two oh seven this afternoon. Actually, it's interesting that the MMSD director is going to be here. All right, th- this is my story about irony. I want to share with you th- the story as it largely appears in the Journal Sentinel. It involves the village of Shorewood. The village of Shorewood, a very, very liberal enclave. And like I say, it used to be UWM professors, once they got tenure, they moved to, uh, they moved to Shorewood. Now they pay, the prof- they pay the professors enough that they can live in Shorewood regardless of whether or not they get tenure or not. So here's the story. Shorewood wades into oil pipeline dispute. Now you might ask, what the you-know-what does Shorewood have to do with oil pipelines? Are, are there oil pipelines anywhere near Shorewood? Oh, no, no, wait. Here's the deal. The village of Shorewood has waded into the controversy over the 63-year-old pipelines that run along the bottom of the Straits of Mackinac, the churning deep water channel that divides Lake Michigan and Huron. Mackinac, way, 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 way up north. The board this week unanimously approved a resolution that calls for the closing of two steel pipelines that can collectively carry 23 million gallons of crude oil and natural gas. The lines are operated by a subsidiary of Canadian pipeline giant Enbridge and are part of a network of pipelines across Wisconsin and Michigan that can collectively carry some 2.5 million barrels of oil. 
All right, so these are these pipelines that run under waterbed. They are nowhere near Shorewood. They are nowhere near here. They have been there for 63 years. And, um, by the way, they have never, ever had a rupture. They have never, ever had a rupture. All right? So, but Shorewood says, we want to close these. Even though they're nowhere around us, we want to close it. The board made the move after being approached by such and such from the uh, the chairman of the Surfrider Foundation of Milwaukee. Surfrider Foundation of Milwaukee represents the freshwater enthusiasts who surf, paddle, and swim in the watersheds that define the Great Lakes Basin. Our community enjoys access to 20% of the planet's surface freshwater, and our goal is to keep the water as clean and as accessible as possible. So the village of Shorewood votes, we, we think this pipeline that's nowhere near us, that's never had a rupture, we think it should be closed, and the possibility that if there's ever a rupture, it could have an impact on freshwater. All right. Now, I, we were all up late last night when the thunderstorm woke everybody up, so I, I will not... I will not make you guess why there is this irony, but but here's the deal. Shorewood is concerned about fresh water. They're concerned that this pipeline might rupture that is hundreds of miles away from Shorewood and has never had a problem. All right. So they're voting. This is the same Shorewood that is one of the major polluters of Lake Michigan. Shorewood and large portions of the city of Milwaukee. Um, 60% of Shorewood's sewer system is, is, is combined sewer pipes. In other words, the stuff that comes out of your bathtub and your toilet is mixed with the rainwater and then has to go somewhere. Now, back before we built the deep tunnel, the solution, if you really wanted to stop overflows and dumping of sewage into Lake Michigan, the solution was to separate combined sewers, the sanitary sewer from the, the other type of runoff. So, you know, the water that comes down in rain or whatever, it just runs off. It doesn't need to be treated. The stuff that comes out of toilets and bathtubs needs to be treated. So instead of doing what should have been done, that would have solved the problem of dumping once and for all because people in the city of Milwaukee and people in Shorewood did not want to spend money to separate the combined sewer, the sanitary sewer from the other sewer in their community. We have the deep tunnel that was built, and this was a way of making everybody else throughout the metropolitan area pay for the solution because parts of Shorewood and parts of Milwaukee we didn't want to have them pay for it themselves. So as a result, we have built a deep tunnel system, which, yes, after a billion dollars, does reduce the amount of dumping, but does not solve the problem. Because when we get heavy rain, the deep tunnel fills up, and we have to dump untreated sewage into Lake Michigan. So here you have the village of Shorewood that is upset about a pipeline hundreds of miles away that has never ruptured. And this is the same village of Shorewood that because they did not separate their combined sewers, they are responsible in part for the dumping that MMSD has to do on an occasional basis when you get heavy rains. I am not a deep tunnel critic. I, I'm not. The deep tunnel, the deep tunnel does 
what it can do up to a point. The problem is the deep tunnel is a flawed concept. You are never going to be able to build a tunnel that is big enough to hold all the water that's going to come in when you have heavy rains. The solution was and should have been to separate the sanitary sewers from the other sewers in Shorewood, in Milwaukee, you wouldn't have needed to have the deep tunnel. You would have been able to then treat the stuff that needed to be treated. But because people in Shorewood and people in Milwaukee didn't want to pay to have that done, we now have occasional dumping. And as a result of that, I just think the irony is stunning that you have one <laughs> you have a community that is in part responsible for the ongoing pollution of Lake Michigan by dumping sewage in as a result of overflows they're whining about a pipeline hundreds of miles away that has never ever ever had a problem huh just consider it all right it's 9:41 we're going to discuss Racial Indoctrination Day or Civil Rights Awareness Day, depending on how you look at it. Stick around. 942, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 945, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. That, of course, is Pink Floyd. Roger Waters, the legendary force behind Pink Floyd, coming to the BMO Harris Bradley Center on July 29th. All right, this is... This is a story which, again, underscores to me why you have so many people that are frustrated with public education. Um, New Trier High School in Winnetka, Illinois, that's on Chicago's affluent North Shore. It is a very, very well-heeled, most of the people that attend come from affluent neighborhoods and affluent families. Uh, The... The people that run New Trier decided, and it, it, by the way, it is a largely white school. They decided that what we need to do is we need to educate our largely white students on, on the civil rights struggle. So they have declared that next Tuesday, February 28th, is going to be uh, a day where regular classes are not going to occur. And instead, they are going to have something they call Understanding Today's Struggle for Racial Civil Rights. Um, Racial Civil Rights. Now, of course, the the term racial civil rights is misleading since civil rights protect people regardless of of what their race are. But but that's not really what this whole seminar is about. Um, Wall Street Journal had an editorial about this the other day. Here are a few of the offerings that are going to be presented to the the roughly 4,000 students that are going to be attending. Here's what one is called. Spent, a simulation to see how long you can survive on minimum wage. Okay, now, what this has to do with civil rights Your guess is as good as mine, but this is clearly designed for, hey, you know, you see all this like $15 an hour for the fast food workers here. This is why they need it. So spent a simulation on to see how long you can survive on minimum wage. All right. Here's another one. Developing a positive, accountable white activism for racial civil rights, which promotes uh, a a divisive view of race as, as a fact. The essence of identity, a bright line between the oppressed and the oppressor. Then there's one person, one vote. Can the Voting Rights Act be saved? Which, of course, suggests that the Voting Act is at risk. Rights Act is at risk of being repealed. So it's it's one thing after another. 
where they've set up these various seminars that are, in fact, designed to, I don't know, promote white guilt, promote this notion that there is white supremacy, and to essentially not only educate people about, here, here's the history of the civil rights movement, but rather advocate, you know, whatever progressive theme is out there du jour. Now, a number of parents were extremely upset about this. And earlier this week, you know, they attended, they went to the school board, they said, this is, look, if you want to teach civil rights, okay, and you want to hit, teach the history of the civil rights movement, it's fine to do that in these various social studies courses and things like that. But that's not what, what we're doing here. What this is, is just nothing but social activism designed to promote a nutty left-wing uh, agenda. And the school board said, well, sorry, too late. We, you know, we, we've already decided to do this. The seminar is happening Tuesday. And um, candidly, you know, we're sorry that you're upset about this, parents, but you have, you know, no, no choice here. This is what we're going to do. And the very fact that you might be upset with this, well, okay, that indicates it's your problem. Well, all right, yes, it's the problem of the parents, but you know what? It's also the problem of the school board. And this is one of those situations where, again, you know, maybe communities need to recognize that school boards and school officials work at the pleasure of the community. And when you get incredibly, incredibly out of touch, well, maybe it's just time to, like, rein people in. So New Trier on Tuesday. Um, it's going to be understanding today's struggle for racial civil rights, teaching you, you know, how tough it is to survive on a minimum wage. Go figure. We have the winner of our Pink Floyd tickets. Who who was it, Elvis? What's, what was her name? Pete. Do we know where Pete was from? Pete from Lake Geneva wins a pair of tickets to see Roger Waters um, on July 29th. Like I say, keep listening. We'll have more tickets to give away next week. It is 9.50. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 9.53. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Legendary musician Roger Waters is bringing all the hits of Pink Floyd to Milwaukee. He'll be at the BMO Harris Bradley Center on July 29th, and you could be there. Tune into my show all next week for your chance to win a pair of tickets. How very cool is that? At some point in time, I just I always wonder why people cannot take no for an answer. You know, it, it's sort of like maybe it's like maybe they grew up in a family where if you kept asking. You could wear mom and dad down. Can I have a bike? No. Can I have a bike? No. Can I have a bike? No. Finally, all right, stop asking me about having a bike. All right, I've been saying no, 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 but but yes, you can have the bike. Can I have chocolate ice cream instead of eating my carrots? Can I have chocolate ice cream? No, 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 no. Finally, you wear them down. Maybe maybe that is the homes that certain people grew up in, that they if you just keep asking and asking and you make enough noise about it, finally you wear people down. Let me just say this. Scott Walker, the governor of the state of Wisconsin, who I've known for a long time, is not one of those people. You're not going to wear him down by continuing to ask for things that he has said no for. I, I was looking at a couple stories yesterday about how members of the business community are still out there pounding this drum for an increase in the Milwaukee County sales tax, a 05 uh, percent increase. Now, everybody knows we already have an elevated sales tax in a five-county region to help pay for Miller Park. 
I was one of the people that supported that. I think it has worked out well. I think Miller Park is an asset. But I will tell you, I still have these psychological scars on my back from, from that fight. I mean, I was here when that fight occurred, and I know from time to time I still will talk to people in Racine who, despite the fact that that happened however many years ago, still resent the fact that you have to pay a few pennies extra every time you buy something in order to fund Miller Park that you don't think helps you know your community at all. But having come through that fight, you realize that there's really not the stomach that I think a lot of politicians have for increasing taxes. And the Miller Park sales tax is due to sunset sometime in the next couple years. And when, when that goes, replacing that with another tax is a really, really tough haul. One of the things that Governor Walker has made clear, and I think a lot of Republican legislators have made, been made, has made clear, is that they do not believe that they were sent to Madison to raise taxes, whether it's the gas tax or sales tax or whatever. So you have a number of members of the Milwaukee business community who are pushing this idea of a 0.5% sales tax increase. Originally, when it was floated, it was going to be a regional tax increase. The argument being, hey, people in downtown Waukesha, they come in and they they use, they go to the Milwaukee Public Museum from time to time. They should help support it. I think early on, pretty much everybody realized that that was a complete and total non-starter. No way in the world that you were going to convince somebody in West Bend that they should have to pay a 0.5% sales tax added on to what they already pay because you, you want to fund the Mitchell Park Dome. So that, that was pretty much of a non-starter. So the modified proposal that's been floated by members of the business community, and some, including some that I, I, I like and respect, um, Milwaukee County only, 0.5%. Now, in order for this to happen, first, you would have to have the the governor and the legislature sign off on a binding referendum. And then you'd have to have a binding referendum in Milwaukee County on this sales tax increase. And even yesterday, there was members of the business community who were saying, we think this is a good idea. Walker has said it is a complete and total non-starter. Members of the legislature, both Republicans and Democrats, have said that this is a complete and total non-starter. And yet I'm still listening to members of the business community saying, well, we really need this. Well, all right, this is just like when you go and you ask your mom or dad to have chocolate cake first instead of you know having to eat your vegetables. They say no. You keep asking, you keep asking. Maybe mom or dad said yes, finally, because you wore them down. Trust me. This is one where I don't think either the governor or members of the legislature are going to be worn down on. And if you want to really figure out, okay, how are we going to generate more money to pay for, you know, rebuilding the domes or fixing the domes? Or how are we going to generate more money to pay for maintaining the museum? All right, the idea of a sales tax, at least right now and for the foreseeable future, is a complete and total non-starter. So my advice would be... While I think you might think that that's the great plan A, it isn't going to happen. So maybe instead of asking for something that isn't going to happen, maybe what you need to do is is move to your plan B, whatever your plan B is. Because continuing to push for a sales tax, again, you're just you're wasting air, you're wasting your time. Not going to happen. Figure out what's going to be next because sales tax, no way. It is 959. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Coming up right after the news, it's a segment I call Dealer's Choice. All right. Have you ever hugged a coworker? If so, watch out. Stick around.
707. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jane. Jane, before you leave. I'm yes, not, not going to ask you, you know, what, what is, you know what a homonym is? No, I, I did that to Michelle Richards the other day. Um, are you a hugger? It would depend. I mean, yes, with, with I'm, I'm fairly huggy. Okay. Um, ever with coworkers? It would depend. On? It would depend upon the relationship. Right. It would be awkward doing it with a superior, I think. Right. But if you, I guess if you had a... I don't know if there was a situation where you had a friend in in the workplace and you were having kind of a heart to heart talk with them or or whatever, um, and under certain circumstances you wouldn't hesitate to hug necessarily. No. Would it make a difference if it was a male or a female? It would depend upon the, how I felt in this relationship with the male. Right, but but not but not necessarily just just because it just was because a male, it's a man. No. Right. Right. No. But if it was a supervisor or a superior, if it was a supervisor or superior. Then you would think the the hugging is kind of odd. Well, yeah. yeah no, I, I mean, it's one thing to do to hug a colleague. You're on right. the same you're on the same playing field. Right. Um, but again, too, it depends upon if you if you have a looser relationship with your superior. Then I can see where that wouldn't be a problem. Right. Okay. All right. You, you pass. You, the you, you, you need a hug. <laughs> <laughs> Ashton. <laughs> Ashton. Elvis, you stay in that room. <laughs> if I'm getting a hug from one of the two of you, there ain't no doubt which one, <laughs> which one I'm going for. Oh, don't call human resources on that. Okay, the reason I was asking Ms. Matinair about that is uh, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, which is the very, very left-wing court um, in, on, the, on the West Coast, um, just came out with a decision yesterday saying that hugging can create a hostile work environment. And I want to discuss this with you because it is extremely, I think it's really interesting. There's a, um, the guy's a county sheriff out, out of California. And one of the people that works for him, a, a correctional officer, so she, she works in the jail, presumably. She filed a lawsuit against him and against the county, alleging a hostile work environment because the, the sheriff, what was a hugger? What she says, this is, this is the allegation. She says that the sheriff had hugged her more than a hundred times over a 12 year period. So it's not like he hugged me five times, he hugged me a hundred, he hugged me a hundred times in a one month period. It's, so it's over a 12 year period. So she's a long term a- employee. So that translates into you know, over a 12-year period, that translates into like eight hugs a year. That 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 translates into eight, eight hugs a year. Um, the sheriff says, I'm a hugger. He says, I, I've, I also hug male employees. But I acknowledge I might hug women more, but that's because of just the innocuous differences in the ways men and women routinely interact with members of the same sex and the opposite sex. In other words, it's it is more in, in his words, it's it's you know, guys, you're you're more likely to shake hands with other guys than you are to necessarily hug them. Whereas, you know, men and women, yes, you can shake hands, but but also there, there's the hug. Now everybody agrees that everybody agrees that that they did there was this hugging. Nobody, the woman who's making this claim, says no, he made no sexual comments or touched her otherwise. 
that there wasn't any sort of like he, he wasn't playing grab butt or anything like that, that these were just sort of hugs as part of of the interactions. Now, she did say that some of the hugs were, you know, chest to chest, you know, but that's I mean, that, that's kind of going to be nature. But she doesn't say that the guy was reaching down and, and grabbing her breasts or anything like that. He, he's a hugger. Um, there is an issue. Apparently, she, she never told him to stop. At least that's the sense I get, that this wasn't where she went in and said, um, Sheriff, I'm really uncomfortable with you hugging. I want you to stop. But she says that, that the pressure, the fact that he hugged her, created this, you know, uncomfortable, hostile work environment he was her supervisor and as jane was saying that maybe that's it's not like they're just you know co-workers and you have a co-worker that comes up to you and says you know i just i'm I'm having problems at home or i'm having this really bad day or or this or whatever and tells you their tale of woe and you're trying to comfort them and, and you give them a hug this was he was a supervisor but the guy says i'm a hugger all right, this is our dealer's choice topic of the day. We do this in this segment of the program every day. I consider it not necessarily to be the most, the biggest, most significant, earth-shattering issue, but I find this to be incredibly talkable. So, all right, think about your workplaces. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. Are hugs inappropriate? Um, in this particular situation, the guy is a hugger. He says, I, I hug men. I hug women. I'm a hugger. I probably have hugged more women than men. People apparently have not complained about it. He's not grabbing body parts in addition to hugging. But if you, you know, you go to man and woman, go to hug a woman, you go to hug a woman and, you know, you're going to have, you know, some sort of chest, perhaps to breast contact. Um, but he's not grabbing people. She says it's a hostile work environment. All right. Should hugging in the workplace ever be permitted um, and under what circumstances? And should it ever be appropriate between a supervisor, which is what the sheriff was, and one of the rank and file employees? Does at least based on what you're hearing, does the woman have a potential case? Should hugging be allowed? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. And again, for our purposes, we're distinguishing the, the hug from a, a more advanced form of, of sexual grabbing. Obviously, if the guy is using the hug as an excuse to grab or something like that, that's a different story. But that's not what the allegation is. The allegation is he was just a hugger, and she says it's a hostile work environment. 414-799-1620. Should we allow hugging in the workplace? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1014. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1017. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Yesterday, was presented with this case. The woman works in the sheriff's department. She says her, her boss, the, the sheriff, hugged her over 100 times over a 12-year period. So, like, average of eight hugs a year. Um, by everybody's admission, he is a hugger. He hugs, hugs both men and women. He acknowledges that he hugs women probably more just because of what he says is the gender differences. You know, you're more likely to shake hands guy to guy. Um, there's no allegation that he was grabbing or squeezing or anything like that. He's a hugger. Nevertheless, she says it created a hostile work environment. I don't believe she told him to stop. 414, but, but should we, is it ever appropriate for a superior to hug somebody that works for them let's start with patty in kenosha patty good morning hi good morning what do you think 
Um, I think it's not appropriate for a superior to uh, hug somebody at work unless it's, you know, an extraordinary circumstance at the Christmas party or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, these people work in a sheriff's office. This is not a place where there's hugging going on. Mm-hmm. And if he's her superior, it's, it's much harder for her to say, like she would in any other situation, hey, back off. Don't touch me. Mm-hmm. So just the fact that he says, oh, well, I'm more more likely to hug the women than I am the guys, that's not okay. Well, okay. not okay. Well, let me break it. Let me let me break it down to a couple things. Sure. What, what if let, let let's put out let's take out the superior thing. Let's say that you are let's say that you are our co-workers. All right, um, Carol Meekins, today's TMJ four is a very very sure. dear friend of mine. If mm-hmm. if I were if we were at a going away party for me or for Carol or whatever, and I hugged her or she hugged me, would that be inappropriate? No, because you've just already said that that. Um, Right. She's a very dear friend of yours. Right, right. If, if somebody um, came up to Carol Meekins at the going away party who she had never met right. and threw their arms around her and hugged her, <laughs> right. um, I think she would be within her boundary to say, hey, you know, back off. We don't, we don't even know each other. We don't have a hugging situation. It's hard for women. We're, we're, mm-hmm. we're, sort of trained to say, oh, that's okay, right. it doesn't bother me, but, um, do you think that you know, it's if, not if okay. It did, do, you think, do you think if it bothered her, she should have spoken up and said something? Because I don't get the idea that she did. Oh, most, most certainly. Okay. Most certainly. You know, and, and, you know, I'm a person who you can get your point across in saying it lightly, <laughs> like, right. you know, hey, you know, Back off! Yeah. Uh, you know, right, yeah. no no reason to get all uh, right, yeah. you know, hugsy right. kissy or right. something. Right. You know, so okay. But, well, um, I do I do acknowledge that there's a difference. Um, first of all, I do I, I do think that there from I'm giving a male perspective. There's mm-hmm. uh, um, okay. I, Charlie Sykes and I would not hug each other, you know. We would, but Carol Meekins right, and I would. Right. I mean, so that that's just that's just kind of the, the like the, the the kind of difference between the way men and women interact. But I will say mm-hmm. this: I understand what you're saying about the supervisor. That's it, it's right. Yeah. Right. All right. Thanks, I appreciate it. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty eight hundred eight seven seven one six twenty. This is again. This isn't. These aren't coworkers who apparently are friends. This is. You know, he's the boss. You know, she's one of the employees. They have a long-standing relationship because she's worked there for 12 years. But 414-799-1620, Julie in Cudahy. Julie, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hi. How are you? I don't know if it's the same for men as it is for women, but when I get a hug from a guy, there's a hug, and then there's a hug. <laughs> right. That's like, not yeah. quite, I don't know, it seems like sometimes, like, some... Oh, uh, my grandpa-ish character, like, giving me a hug, and it just feels a little too long, you right. know, and that's not, I think that, you know, right. a quick, you know, hug if you're having a bad day or whatever, you know that it's not the same thing as a woman, I mean, you well, know. Well, no, right, no, I get the, the, the idea that, you know, may, maybe it's, Maybe it's a coworker, even a male coworker that you haven't seen for a long time, and he, he's come back from an illness, or you've come back from whatever. And Julie, it's right. it's great to see you and hear you you exchange like a, a brief hug as opposed to like a bear hug and the, the one that kind of lingers and all. Yeah. Well, right. when you started talking about it, it reminded me of something that happened when my son was in grade school. The principal was a shoulder squeezer, 
And he used to go up to, I don't even know if he did it to the girls, but the boys were, you know, because I was talking to all his friends and stuff, and they were all in the car telling me how creepy it was. Mm-hmm. And I hope that his intentions were just to be friendly and all that, but I talked to some of the moms, and they were like, yeah, we heard the same thing. And I went in and told the guy and told him he needed to keep his hands to himself, that the kids did not feel comfortable with it. Right. And did he? You know, and he kind of looked at, well, yeah, he yeah. stopped, but, you know, he looked at me kind of confused. But, you know, the, the boys just, uh, they didn't like no. it, you know, even if his intentions were good. Right. Okay, thanks, guy. No, I appreciate it. He's the principal. They couldn't say anything. He's the superior, if you will. Yeah, no, th- and that, that does, I think, I think it does, I think it does, to me, there is a difference between coworkers and between a supervisor and a coworker because it is admittedly more difficult if it's a question of if, if you're the underling if you are if if it's your supervisor that comes up and and, and just especially if it's doing it on a routine basis it's um you know i mean obviously maybe you're, you're dealing with some sort of personal tragedy and you're talking to you know your boss and they decide that they want to give you some form of comfort but it depends on what your relationship is i don't I don't think it's a good idea. I don't think it's automatically, though, a hostile work environment. And the one thing, at least my understanding of the story, is she didn't tell him to stop. And that's – she didn't tell him to stop, and she doesn't allege that he was he was grabbing her. I mean, it doesn't allege – she doesn't allege that there was any sexual gratification here other than the fact that, you know, again, if you're going to give somebody a hug – you know, and it, it's it's going to be chest to chest. So I guess to that extent, there is some contact. Linda in Fond du Lac. Linda, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for talking yeah, to me. Absolutely. Well, thank you for calling. Okay. Um, what do you think about this? Give me the female perspective here. Well, first of all, I think if this went on for 12 years or more and she never said no or expressed her disapproval, there's a certain acceptance there. Mm-hmm. At least if I'm the boss, I would take it as... She doesn't see anything untoward, right, especially since he apparently is doing this to other people. It's, it's right. not like it's not like he was singling her out, you know. And she, she was the only target. one he was hugging. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, right. just, he's just a hugger. <laughs> yeah. And and I've been in a situation like that, and it was my boss, and I told him in no uncertain terms. And this is forty years ago, so you know how old I am. <laughs> you know, right. hands off. Right. Right. And God gave us a mouth to use, and there are times to use it. And, and after you told the guy, okay, I'm, I'm just not comfortable, you know, don't, don't do it. Did, did he knock it off? Did he stop? Oh, you betcha. Because <laughs> I had, I had cold cocked and knocked a truck driver out flat in the office after six weeks of watching him and waiting for him to grab my butt. Uh-huh, yeah. Telling him, no, keep your hands off. Right, right. So when the boss tried it, I said, unless you want to end up like your truck driver, you'll leave me alone. Linda, I you know you sound like the lady that I would have loved to have hugged, but I would no way. I I understand you you. <laughs> I, I, Listen, if I was offended by it, I would tell you. I grew up with brothers, right? And maybe that's a part of it. You know, you're not a a welcome mat, right? At, okay, now at the same time, if you had a male friend in the workplace, you know, one of your coworkers, and you know, because it, it's also there's coworkers and there's coworkers who are your friends, and so that makes it a little bit complicated as well. But would yeah. there, would there be situations where, um, okay, you, uh, it's a guy you're working with him, you have a good relationship, and you might be inclined to hug him or have him hug you from time to time? Yes. Yeah. I think, I think that's that's the thing. What, 
do, do I think this case was automatically decided wrong? No. What, what the Ninth Circuit did is they kicked it back. They said, okay, you can have a trial, and you can try to show that this was unwanted touching and it was this hostile work environment. I, I do think I, I do think the kind of lesson is if if you are a supervisor – it's probably best, as a general rule, not to be hugging members of the opposite sex. I think, you know, that's that's probably like the guideline. Does, does it automatically sound like the sheriff is a bigger problem? I don't, I, I mean, I'm not convinced. Bonnie and Franklin. Bonnie, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. What um, do you think? I was just, I've been listening to the comments of the people, and I, I agree with most of them. Um, it seems to me that the, the hugger, even if it's, you know, a person who says, well, I'm a hugger, that person still has to consider the feelings of the person they're hugging. Especially if it's a, especially if it's a subordinate, you know, somebody yeah. who, where you, right, especially so that. Yeah. They need to say something like, do you mind if I give you a hug? You know, mm-hmm. instead of just hauling off and doing it, just the- because feels good to do it or whatever. Sure, it feels good to do it for him. Yeah. What about her? Do you think that him? she has any obligation? And if, if this has been going on for years and years, so it's a long-standing thing, do you think that she has any obligation at all to to tell the guy, you know, please, I'm just not comfortable being hugged? Absolutely. Yeah. If you're not comfortable, you're not comfortable. Everybody's different. Right. Right, and I think that's that, thanks. For, I mean, that's thanks. For, that, that's I think that is the case. Everybody is is different. Um, I don't know how this whole thing is going to turn out. The way it happened is again, the court sent it back. They said, okay, you can have a trial. You can you correctional employee. You have a chance to argue in front of a jury why this practice that went on for twelve years. And again, it, it's it averages eight hugs a year. When you hear over a hundred hugs, but it's over a twelve year period. Um, I mean, it's not like if this was a situation where you had the boss that was clear clearly like targeting one employee, that I think would raise issues. The guy just happens, my guess is he's an old school man of the world who is just a hugger in general. Uh, times have in fact changed, but I do appreciate it. I, I think she's exactly right. Bonnie's exactly right. You actually have to look at it from the perspective of, of both parties. If you want to read more about the story, and we've got a link at WTMJ.com, um, does hugging create a hostile work environment? It is 1028. All right, the long knives continue to be out for President Trump. We will have a political discussion coming up. 1028, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We are just a few days away from the debut of Scafidi and Billstat. Steve Scafidi and Eric Billstat bring you the day's top stories through their lens. Don't miss the first edition of Scafidi and Billstat, Tuesday at noon. WTMJ. It's a 27-game race to the finish for the Bucks as they enter the unofficial second half of the season. What's better long-term, a 6, 7, or 8 seed in the playoffs or taking a chance in the lottery? Greg Matzik offers his thoughts and opens the discussion this evening on Sports Central at 6.07. Be sure and tune in. All right, let us talk about politics for, for a moment. One of during the presidential election, I was not a fan of Hillary Clinton, and I really wasn't a fan of Donald Trump. Um, a, a number of a number of my issues with President Trump deal with uh, style as opposed to substance. There's. 
there's just a lot of stuff I find about him. Well, I understand some people find it to be charming. There, there's a lot of stuff that I find to be off-putting, P-U-T-T-I-N-G, off-putting. The other concern I had when the election was, was happening was whether or not Donald Trump, now President Trump, really had an, an ideology. I mean, because here was a guy who, I know, 10 years ago was pretty much on the opposite of most, if not all, issues that he was now, he'd flipped, and now he's on the other side of these issues now, which which made me wonder, is this somebody who has truly had a, cons- a conversion and is really a conservative, or is this somebody who is an opportunist, who is just recognizing that, gee, I want to be the president of the United States, and the way to do this is to set myself up and, and appeal to sort of the hard, hard right and concentrate and set myself up as the, the anti-Hillary Clinton. So I had wonders uh, about that. And I know during the election, one of the reasons, one of the things that people would call up and would say all the time is, hey, Jeff, the Supreme, the reason to support Donald Trump is the Supreme Court, for example, is extremely important. And Donald Trump's choice for the Supreme Court will be better than Hillary Clinton's choices. And the question I always asked was, well, how do you know that for sure? Well, okay, he's one. And for any of you who called me and said that, you were right. You were right. I mean, I think Neil Gorsuch, for example, is an absolute complete and total home run he is the type of conservative can qualified jurist that you need on the supreme court so so you were right after the election there were two ways the democrats could go in dealing with donald trump one of the ways that lots of people advocated was all right let's let us not confront him directly but rather, here you have somebody who you know talks about the art of the deal. Here you have somebody that, that might not be completely and totally ideologically driven or might be ideologically flexible, if you know what I mean. So one of the strategies was let's, let's try to be out there. Let's make deals. Let's offer compromises. And in an effort to try to get things done, we're not going to get everything we want, but maybe maybe what we can do, especially given the reality that the Republicans control the House of Representatives, the Republicans control the U.S. Senate, so we really are the minority party, maybe one of the best ways to get what we want is to go to Donald Trump and try to make deals, to try to say, okay, we don't want confrontations, let's try to coax him closer to the center in order to get at least some of the stuff we want, as opposed to getting none of the things we want. That was one strategy. And candidly, lots of Democrats advocated that strategy. The other strategy was all-out confrontation. We're going scorched earth. Everything that President Trump does sucks. President Trump, we don't like him. None of the cabinet members should be confirmed. They're going to destroy the environment. They're going to, you know, um, that this is going to be the return of Jim Crow days. We will fight everything, every battle we will challenge. Those were the two strategies that were out there. And a lot of people were saying the least risky strategy was the one of trying to work out compromises. Let's make deals. Let's try to coax President Trump into a more centrist sort of position, and he will take the House and the Senate Republicans along with him. All right. Well, those were the two choices and the two ways they could go. Story in the New York Times today makes it very clear what the decision has been. Here's the headline. Weakened Democrats bow to voters. They have opted for total war 
on Trump. Uh, reduce, this is the way the story starts. Reduced to their weakest state in a generation, Democratic Party leaders are gathering in two cities this weekend to plot strategy and select a new national chairman with the daunting task of rebuilding the party's depleted organization. But senior Democratic officials concede that the blueprint has already been chosen for them by an incensed army of liberals demanding no less than total war against President Trump. Spurred by explosive protests and a torrent of angry phone calls and emails from constituents and outraged themselves by Mr. Trump's swift moves to enact certain items of his agenda, Democrats have all but cast aside any notion of conciliation with the White House. Instead, they are saying they're going to be the party of no, and they are wagering that this obstruction will pay dividends. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. And I don't think there's any question that this, this New York Times story is correct. Democrats have decided no conciliation. We're going to fight everything. We're not going to give in anyway. And we might get steamrolled over the course of the next two years because we don't have the majorities. Um, we might also cause Donald Trump, who is very thin-skinned, to, to dig in his heels and actually end up being much more conservative than he necessarily otherwise would have been because we're going to be the obstructionists. We're going to be the party of no. But that is the strategy. It's we're going to fight everything, scorched earth. We're going to war. Is that good for the country? Is that the strategy that should be followed? Will it succeed for the left? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1042, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1046, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. That was, that was, that was fun. We, we have, we have four groups that come through and normally they're high school kids or grade school kids. These were, uh, well, they're, they're kids, but perhaps of a, of a little bit older. So it was very nice to have a big group here. Um, 414-799-1620. After the election, there were two ways that the loyal opposition could go. Either try to work out compromises with President Trump. Try to, hey, it's the art of the deal. Let's try to work out deals. Let's see, can we all get along? And, and maybe we can get some part of our agenda. That is not the strategy that Democratic activists have, have essentially decided. Now it's scorched earth. Anything Trump does, awful. We are going to fight it. And, yes, that means we're probably going to lose over the short term. But two years from now, four years from now, we'll be positioned to do better. Is that a winning strategy? 414-799-1620. Um, Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Jeff. Uh, my thoughts are that the Democrats are uh, really going to be burning themselves. Uh, they've uh, gone to this strategy and... Uh, I think that Donald Trump, genius or not, has uh, touched a nerve that no one else wanted to touch on the media and the Democrats, and that is uh, the media is uh, all very leftist. Right. And well, well, Mike, the, let me uh, ask you this though. You know, we we see you, you cannot turn on any of the talking head shows. You cannot turn on the nightly news without seeing you know pictures of. Republicans showing Republican congressmen and women showing up at town halls and being screamed at by, you know, all these angry people that are out there just yelling at them. Is that is that influencing hearts and minds or is that just a a small, loud group that doesn't reflect where America really is? I think it's a small, small, loud group. I think that 
Have you ever seen a uh, anti-Obama rally when he got elected? Well, not like this. I can't, re- I can't recall <laughs> yeah. one. Right now, that somebody was arguing with me about that yesterday or two days ago, saying, "Well, the, the, these town hall things, these disruptions are just like the Tea Party." I said, "No, they they they, they weren't. I mean, yeah, I mean, you you had the Tea Party events, but I don't remember people showing up and shouting down Democratic congressmen in in two thousand nine. Uh, maybe it happened, but I don't remember it happening very much." Yeah. So you think this is going to be counterproductive? Okay. Thanks for the call four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. See, that's that is the fundamental issue. I mean, is is the strategy of being, we're going to be the obstructionist. We're going to object to everything. Um, is that is that the long game? And do you win in, in the long game? Because I will tell you, again, during this whole race, I thought what was going to happen is I thought you were going to see more of the art of the deal. Donald Trump being willing to compromise to get stuff done and leaving some conservatives in the dust. That's not the way this is playing out. I mean, Trump is the way Trump is looking at all the, the screaming and yelling and all the hostility, his his that does not make him more inclined to want to cooperate. It makes him more inclined to say, okay, I'm just going to use my majorities and I'm going to ram stuff through. So short term Democrats, liberals lose do they stand to win long-term? 414-799-1620. Wayne in Colgate. Wayne, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Morning. What do you think? I have to chuckle about uh, everybody thinking the Democrats are the party of obstruction. Where were you guys over the last eight years when President Obama tried to do uh, the art of the deal with the Republicans in Congress? Nothing even got to a vote. Mm-hmm. The Republicans blocked Obama every way he turned. Mm-hmm. He tried to, but of course, but of course, the difference was after two after two thousand ten, the Republicans had majorities in the House of Representatives and in the U.S. Senate for at least some of that period of time. Here, so so they could they could block. Here, the Democrats have no ability to block. They're the party in the minority, given the fact that they can't stop stuff. Would they be better off trying to get something done? It's, you're not going to get anything done with Trump and his his uh, clowns. You got look at his cabinets or the people around him in the White House. They're all a bunch of crazies. Well, I okay. So now, see now, okay. See there, there you go, Wayne. That's that that that's kind of the attitude that you have out there on the far left. Now, see, I, mean, I do see. Look, let, let let's be honest. Okay, how did we get Obamacare? We got Obamacare because it was rammed through without a single Republican vote. You had Democrats that had majorities in the U.S. Senate and had majorities in in the House of Representatives, so they rammed it through. There wasn't anything that Republicans could do. Yes, I agree that you had Republicans in the House of Representatives and Senate who who blocked a lot of the stuff that they didn't want to see happen with Obama, but they were at least in a position to block it. Now, Democrats... They can't block it. They don't have the votes. They are the minority party. They are a weakened party. So what they have to decide is, do we want to just have stuff rammed down our throats, or does it make more sense to try to work with a guy like Donald Trump, who in many respects, and maybe this is just me, I think he's actually less, much less ideologically rigid than, say, a Barack Obama was. I think if you had approached him differently, I think... I think, you know, who knows what, what Trump might have done, because he's taken a number of positions that I think do not line up, certainly with the traditional conservative slash traditional Republican policies. But but now, I, again, the, the water has been poisoned. I don't think that you can go back there. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to, um, let's see, um, Sam on a cell phone. Sam, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. 
Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. I had a hardcore Democratic friend of mine came up to me one time after this election and said, you know, that, that Tea Party really did a great job stopping Obama. We need to get out there and fight. So that's why you see all this going on. Right. These people have talked themselves into believing that if they just get out there and protest, they're going to take everything back. But right. what they forget is the Tea Party had a message, most of which Trump won on. Yes. So, you know, if they want to reverse this, they're going to have to find some kind of a message. They've lost on health care. They've lost on the economy, jobs. They've lost on the borders. They lost on all fronts. Right. Right. Right now, the message of the protest is we hate Donald Trump. But but it's very divided. I mean, I I look at some of these protesters and it's all across the map. It's not like and I've said this before. It's not like the 60s and early 70s where you had massive protests that united united against the Vietnam War. You look at these these anti-Trump protesters and it's all sorts of different issues. Um, And and many of them probably don't. It's we don't want to build this pipeline or, you know, we want to have open borders or whatever. And my guess is a lot of the protesters don't even agree with other protesters on certain issues. No, it's just, you know, it's yeah. not an ideological thing. It's just we don't like Trump. Yeah, well, they don't, and they have no message, and they need a message. And 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 the more they keep clogging up the streets and the airports and the shopping malls, whatever, they're just going to drive people away. And right. That's all there is to well, it. Well, I, I do think. I mean, thanks for the call. I mean, I do think that there is. I do think that there is a risk of that. It's. You, you have to have you have to have a big picture and you have to have an end game and 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 the politics of anger only goes so far i mean i've been saying that since act 10 with, with scott walker <laughs> look i i I do think, first of all, the protests went too far. I think it was one of those things where lots of reasonable people who might have been sympathetic with some of the public employees, but were saying, okay, wait a second, you're you're, you're storming the state capitol and Democrats are fleeing the state because you're essentially, at the end of the day, asking public workers to contribute more to their pensions and to their health care, pay a little more for health care. I mean, really? And and this is the reaction. So I, I think the reaction was overblown. But more importantly, and this is what the Democrats have struggled with in Wisconsin for years, there are, there's a certain percentage of people who hate scott walker i get it it's the walker derangement syndrome but there haven't been enough of those people to beat walker that's why he keeps winning it's why i predict he's going to win in 2018 you can't beat somebody with nobody and and this idea that we don't like trump i get it but unless you have this alternate message that's out there and i do seriously wonder what's the what, what is the end game here because Again, I've been watching these immigration protests, and if you're a regular listener to the program, you you know, at the heart of these immigration protests, like a day without immigrants, what they're calling for is open borders. We don't want you to tighten up stopping people from coming into this country illegally, and we don't want you to send people in this this country illegally back, right? That's... I don't think that's where mainstream America is. I, I mean, I don't know that there's any country in the free world that, that has you know, open borders outside whatever the rules are of the European Union or something like that. I, nobody does. Nobody does that. And, you know, once you start getting to the heart of it, I mean, is this is this really the issue that the, the left wants to run on, arguing that we should have open borders and that anybody wants to come into this country should be able to come into this country? Ah. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty is the number. Um, we're back in a couple minutes. It's ten fifty five. Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ.
It's 1058, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Hey, coming up in less than 10 minutes, um, a, a broad-based discussion about what the American dream means for people in 2017. I think it's going to be interesting. 1135, we have our WTMJ Weekend Review. We also live stream that on Facebook Live as well. All right, you knew this was going to play out. The Dakota Access Pipeline, the Dakota Access Pipeline, of course, is something that runs from Canada, um, ultimately down to Illinois. It's going to bring thousands and thousands of gallons of gasoline. It's almost all completed. There was like a four, five, six-mile stretch that would run under a particular lake that was being blocked. The Obama administration decided in a very controversial move that they were going to side with the so-called environmentalists and block it. Trump administration blew that out, and after... I don't know, much consternation. It appears it's going to be completed relatively soon. Uh, the few remaining protesters were arrested the other day, so that's now been cleared out, and I suspect the Dakota Access Pipeline will be completed relatively soon. And candidly, if you care about the environment, it's going to be a pretty good thing because it's going to mean less reliance on, on trucks and more reliance on pipelines. Okay, we're going to be talking about an aspect of the American dream in just a couple minutes. 1059, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTM. Eleven oh nine, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. Uh, we we had this tour group that just came through, and I I was talking to one of the ladies who has a Pomeranian like I do, and we were. If you weren't listening at the start of the show, um, I'm kind of going on a couple hours sleep because sort of a late night. I did an event for the Boy Scouts, came home, was was doing the show prep, and didn't get to bed till like twelve thirty, which is bad when you have to get up at five or five thirty, and then at two o'clock in the morning, I'm awakened by this loud clap of thunder, boom. And then literally two seconds later, I'm further awakened by my little dog who is awakened and freaking out. And um, and then so then there was a thunderstorm and then there was the hailstorm. And, and so I, I appreciate it. It was, it was kind of freaking me out. It was definitely freaking the dog out. So we spent some quality time this morning from about two to four o'clock. And then she went back to sleep and was dead asleep. Um, she did not have to get up quite as early as dad did. But it's uh I tell you, the dog ownership, just absolutely great. It's been absolutely wonderful. I do, however, think that there is a nap on the horizon this afternoon. Uh, I want to encourage you to, I always want to encourage you to listen to my friend John McCure, Wisconsin's Afternoon News. But today in particular, because he has an interview, they're, they're, they're doing their, they're, they're on the road, um, and they're doing they're one of the things they're in Janesville. And of course, that's the, the hometown of uh, Congressman Paul Ryan, Speaker of the House. And I, I know we've been highlighting a few pieces of it. You know, but John did an in-depth interview with Paul Ryan. I, I have known Paul Ryan um, for a number. I mean, I knew him when he was when he was running for office. I, I did a couple fundraisers for him back in the day. And it's been a real pleasure to see how Paul's career has taken off. And the thing I like about Paul so much is that he's he is a very, very thoughtful conservative. He's one of these guys who is one of the smartest people in the room, but he doesn't necessarily make you feel dumb. <laughs> you know, he's, he's, he really understands policy. He's a policy wonk, but at the same time, he also has the what I would describe as the common touch. And and I'm, I'm just, on a personal level, I'm so pleased to see how much success Paul has had. But John McCure did a lengthy interview with him, and I was just actually talking to John for a couple minutes. Um, you, I want to encourage you to listen to it. I think it's going to be very interesting. But one of the parts that's going to be extremely interesting is, is John Boehner, the former 
House former um, you know, Speaker of the House, had, had Ryan's position before he was sort of forced out in a coup. Um, he's out of Congress now, and he's decided to wade in on the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare. Here's what he says. They'll fix Obamacare, but but it's not going to be repeal and replace. That's not what's going to happen. They're basically going to fix a few flaws and put a more conservative box around it. And then he goes on to talk about how that um, you know no, Republicans really have never been able to agree in 25 years what a health care proposal should look like. Um, you know, not once. Republican lawmakers are too confident in how easy they thought the process would go. Um, all this happy talk that went on in November and December and January about repeal, repeal, repeal. Yeah, you know, we'll do replace, replace. I started laughing because if you pass repeal without replace first, anything that happens is your fault. You, you broke it. And he goes on and on and on. Um, my understanding is uh, Paul Ryan, and I don't know if he says this specifically, but in general it's, well, okay, we appreciate thanks for your service, John. But John has left the building. He's not here now. Um, he doesn't understand what the mood is around here now. And, you know, this this is going to conservatives are not going to be disappointed in what's going to ultimately happen with Obamacare. So that, that's one of the things that you, you do deal with where people who've been in a particular position or done a job for a while and then they leave and they fail to realize that there's kind of different dynamics that might be at work now. So um, Boehner says Obamacare repeal and replace is not what's going to happen. I don't think he necessarily consulted on that with Paul Ryan, but you can hear that complete interview in Wisconsin's Afternoon News later on today with John Mercure. I admit I am absolutely intrigued by by cultural changes and and lifestyle changes. For years and years, the American dream was a home in the suburbs. You know, the, the American dream was you, you work hard, get a little bit of money in the bank, you get married, you move to the suburbs, you have the 2.3 kids, you've got the dog, you've got the two cars, including the station wagon or now the, you know, the SUV or the minivan and the driveway, and, and, and you buy a house. And that was always the idea that you, you want to buy, you want to have the house, and, and that, that's it, home in the suburbs. Over, I want to say, the last decade or two, that has perhaps changed a bit. As, as more and more Gen Xers and particularly millennials said, hey, that, that's, that's not my dream. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't need the house. You know, I, I don't want all those issues that come with that here. I, I want to I wanna be able to pick up and move. I want to be able to do something different here. I, I just I want the apartment. I want to live in the urban areas. I don't need the car. Don't need the dog. Don't need the 2.3 kids. I want to live in the loft and be able to walk. I want to have my whole life within like a three-block radius where I can go to the coffee shop and I can go to the two local bars that are right on the corner. And, you know, there's the grocery that's a, a half a block away and I can carry stuff. That that was what was going on for a while. And you saw that with some home sales. That is now, that is now switched. Um, new study out, new numbers out showing that Americans are buying existing homes. Last month, January, Americans bought existing homes at the fastest pace since 2007. And what's happening is this is setting off bidding wars that are pushing up prices as the supply of available homes is dwindling 
to record lows. Home sales rose 3.3% in January from from December. Um, something is going on, and more and more people are, are buying houses. On top of that, matter of fact, I'm looking at a story right now from the Washington Post. If you are if you are a millennial and you're you're now at the position where you're ready to buy a house what what people are finding is there's just not there's just not those homes that are out there it's very very difficult to buy a home because the demand is exceeding the supply the homes that you really want the, the ones that are the most desirable prices of those are starting to go through the roof so for millennials who want to get out of the apartment who want to go back to what is the more traditional idea of the american dream it's difficult to do it 414-799-1620 800-877-1620 that is the american dream uh, that's the acunet mortgage toll-free talk line all right here's what i want to discuss is home ownership going to be making a comeback um and particularly if you're Sort of in the younger end of our of our listening audience, I mean, th- this idea. I mean, do you want to own your own home one day? I mean, are if you've just recently purchased your home, are you glad you you did it? Is it a solid investment, or the, the whole idea of why do I need a big house? Why do I need a mortgage? I just want to rent. There's no problem. The sink gets clogged up. I call the landlord. I tell him you take care of that problem. I mean, is home ownership really going to be on the rise, especially among young people? 414-799-1620 is the number we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1116-620-WTMJ. WTMJ. Okay, for years and years, we've been told that the, the aspect of the American dream that focused on on home ownership is dead. People, young people particularly, don't want that. Well, now it appears to be changing. Record numbers of home sales to the point that if you're looking for an existing home, the demand is by far exceeding supply. That's causing prices to be driven up. Um, part of it is so for millennials, for example, who now have decided they want to buy. Well, um, it's difficult for them to even find a place. Chris in Milwaukee. Chris, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Hi, yeah, I definitely want to save for a home. I'm 20 years old. I'm already saving for a home. I do not want to live in a crowded apartment. Uh, it's just something I do not want to deal with. I mean, tell me why. I mean, what, what's the, what is the allure? You know, you, you, live, you live in your apartment. Well, okay, you've got that convenience. You can, you know, if something goes wrong, you call the landlord. No problem. Why, why do you want the house? I work in uh, new construction. I do plumbing in new houses, so I kind of see the process of building a home, and I just kind of like seeing the new, uh, right. you know, having your own place and much more comfortable, in my opinion. I, I just wouldn't want to right. deal with an apartment, and I feel like I can sort of fix my home up if I need mm-hmm. to, and mm-hmm. it's well, just something I would definitely prefer. Well, I mean, plus there's there's always that investment aspect. I think if you talk to many people, you know, who, who've owned homes, they will tell you that, there are some exceptions, but in general, it's one of the best investments they make because, you know, you're at the end of the day, and I'm not knocking rental renting, but at the end of the day, that money that you pay in rent is gone. You know, if you've got a house, presumably you're going to sell the house at some point in time, and presumably it's going to be worth more than you paid for it. So you're going to have something out at the end. Right. Yeah, no, thanks. Yeah, for going. Well, good, good luck. for Good luck. And again, this is part of the thing now because for years and years, 
millennials, and I apologize, we're generalizing. I get that. But for years and years, millennials were like, okay, we, we don't want to buy, we don't want to buy houses. And, and now that's sort of changing. And so now you have some millennials who say, okay, we put away money. And, and I think, see, I think what happens, it's sort of like when people find talk radio that, that they have, you know, you, you reach a certain point in, where, where your life changes. You, 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 you get a job, you get a little bit of money in the bank, you know, maybe you're, you're, you've gotten married, you're thinking about getting married, maybe you're thinking about having kids or you've got a, a child or something, and now you're starting to think about, okay, what's the future going to look like? Where am I going to send my child to school? You know, what are these issues going to be? Um, just like I think people come to programs like mine when they reach a certain point where it's like, oh, gosh, I, I, I want to hear about, you know, what are the taxes and what's going on in the community and, you know, how many times can I listen to? To Stairway to Heaven or whatever. 414-799-1620. Nick in Milwaukee. Nick, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks and for uh, Thanks for your time with the Boy Scouts yesterday. Oh, it was wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. I, it's a life-affirming experience for me. <laughs> what do you think? Awesome. Uh, so I'm actually a senior at Marquette this year. Okay. Um, and I see the, the value in ownership, um, but really have enjoyed the urban environment. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up in out in Dousman on 71 acres, uh, and it took 20 minutes to get anywhere. Right. <laughs> um, and I've really enjoyed being able to be really close to other people and right. other things in the city and things like that, but definitely to the value and ownership. Right. So at some point in time, you could imagine, I don't know, maybe maybe finding either a condo or maybe finding a, a house like in one of the, the near in sort of things. So you're not you're not driving 40 minutes, but, you know, you have access right. within five or 10 minutes. Yeah, right. Definitely. No. And I think that's to me, I think that's what you're going to see more and more people start to do. You you want to be close to the urban areas, but you don't necessarily want to be in the middle of the urban area right. to raise kids or whatever. Oh, so. sure, yeah. Definitely, I mean, long-term down the road, it's probably further outside of Milwaukee, but as far as, like, the short-term, right. I, I, I think it'd be valuable to, to do ownership as in in the urban area. Yeah, no, th- th- thanks to call, Nick, and I, 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 I really do appreciate you listening and the thoughts. See, that's, and I think that's what you're starting to see now, and that, that's more sort of the traditional progression. You know, you, you start off with the apartments, but but that's not where you're going to be all your life. And it's like okay, let's let's start the, the small starter house in the suburbs, but near enough in so that we can. It's not a chore if we want to go to a concert at the Bradley Center or if we want to go to a baseball game or something. We we can get there. We still want the access to urban areas, but we don't necessarily want to be you know living living you know in an apartment where there's I I don't know um, for for a lengthy period of time. Arlene on the north side. Arlene, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hi, how are you? Very yeah, well, thank you. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, controversy now in apartment complexes. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one reason why a lot of people are branching off and going into home ownership. But by controversy, what do you mean? Well, you know, neighbor issues. Okay, oh, right. Okay. I, no, I, I, you know, I, that, you know, that's... That would be having, you know, lived in a, a single-family house for a long time now. I, I I have, right now in my life, I have way more house than I need. And it, and I, I love the house. I love the neighborhood. But I, I don't need this big a house. And at some point in time, I'm probably going to look at, you know, certainly downsizing, maybe sooner rather than later. But I, I know exactly what you mean, Arlene. I'm sitting there thinking, okay, do I, how, I could I ever go to an apartment again? <laughs> because I'm, I'm, I'm used to, if the dog barks in the middle of the night, I don't have to worry about it. The only person she's dealing with is, is me. <laughs> you know, it's, I don't have to worry about whether we're disturbing people upstairs or downstairs or across the way. I just, it's just, I just have to make myself happy. 
Absolutely. Yeah, yes, a, I, I think that's one of the bigger issues is, you know, the, the you know, just the non-equality, you right. know what I mean? No, I, well, I, I do. I mean, well, just the, the difference there. I mean, that's the, I mean, that I've never owned a condo. And I, I guess if I had to predict, my, that's probably my that's probably my my future. That that's probably the more likely the scenario um, at some point in time. But it's I do then I then I hear all these stories about it's the lawyer and me. You read these things about how you have to read the Articles of Association, and there's all these rules about what you can do and what you can't do, and this and that and the other thing. And after all these years of owning a house, I don't have to worry about that. You know, it's like, okay, if if I want to put this kind of wallpaper up or if I want to have this room painted this color, nobody's going to say anything to me. It's 1126, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Eleven twenty nine, Jeff Wacker, six twenty. Dear uh, WTMJ, nearly every business in the retail and service industry has employees following a schedule. A local company shares some scheduling tips in the latest Tech Wisconsin podcast that's available now on the WTMJ mobile app. And you can download the mobile app. Just go to WTMJ.com and, and check out our, our podcast page. Like I say, we podcast. Um, every edition of this show. Did he really say that? Well, if you wonder whether I really said it or not, you can go back and listen to the podcast. Many times, one of the things I find many times is, I can't believe you said that. And and I really didn't say that. It's because like somebody heard something and then told somebody who told somebody else. And then said, no, that's really what I said. But, you know, but check it out. We now, there's no hiding from me. It's up on the podcast page. That'll be there. We podcast Sports Central and then a number of other podcasts as well. Check that all out. We are at the point in the week where... Well, I am the thorn between the two roses. Susie Falk from the Falk Group PR and Tracy Johnson from the Commercial Association of Realtors are in. We uh, This is WTMJ Week in Review, and it is coming up. Also, we live stream this on Facebook. So go to Facebook.com backslash 620 WTMJ, and you can see what we're all wearing today. And I... I am wearing pants, right, Jane? You're, you can testify. I'm, I'm wearing pants. Well, he's sitting down, to be honest. So I'm, I'm assuming that you're wearing pants. Right. Okay. That's. Uh, I, I was the last time I stood up. Yes. No. I'm. I'm. This is not No Pants Friday. I guarantee you, not No Pants Friday. Um, that might be coming up in April. Stay tuned. Um, so WTMJ Weekend Review kicks off in just a couple minutes. It is 11.35, Jeff Wagner, 6.20 WTMJ. Welcome to the WTMJ Week in Review. I am the thorn between the two roses. Susie Falk from Falk Group PR. Good morning. Good morning. morning. And Tracy Johnson from the Commercial Association of Realtors. Good morning. Good morning. Now, we learned something new about Tracy, that like no, nothing wakes you up. Susie and I were talking about how we were up last night with the hailstorm and the thunderstorm, and you. this is completely alien to you. It's like something happened last night? Yeah. It was, a, it was like a whole new day. Wow. <laughs> Slept right through it. Okay. Well, that, I'm going to take a nap after this. Yeah, no kidding. That's, uh, you know, uh, wow, um, outstanding. Okay, by the way, we also live stream this so you can see what we all look like. But you know what I look like. Check out yeah, check out Susie. Check out uh, Tracy. You can just go to WTMJ. Uh, it's actually it's Facebook.com backslash 620 WTMJ. And you can also post comments and things like that. All right, topic number one. Yesterday, the city of Madison settled the Tony Robinson shooting lawsuit. This was the case, and we have talked about this before, that the 19-year-old guy who was high on various things, who had assaulted some people, the police officer gets a call, goes into a narrow stairway. He's attacked by the young man um, and ends up shooting him. It's an unfortunate situation. 
The case is reviewed. No basis for criminal charges. The police department says nothing wrong was found. No violation of our procedures. The family files a lawsuit. And yesterday, in an enormous settlement, uh, the city of Madison and its insurers settle for $3.35 million. Police all over the state are extremely unhappy. Tracy Johnson, what do you think? Well, I I think what this is by by paying this out, I almost feel like they're they're admitting guilt. And yeah, they say that there's no admission of guilt, but they're writing the the insurers are writing a check for three point well, three million. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and I, I and I what they're saying is they made a business decision that the court costs would have you know been exorbitant and and right, plus the potential that you could lose. You you get in front of a of a jury in Madison. Yeah. Who knows what they might. But but yeah. I don't really think justice is served and i think their their comment is that you know okay this is settled this is going to go away and what you're doing is putting a price tag on someone's life i just i don't agree with this way of 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 closing the case and and i don't know how you get to to justice but i think what it is what i think about is if this wouldn't have been uh, an african-american uh, victim in in a sense right. would this have happened because there were riots leading up to this there were peaceful protests I should say <laughs> but you know it, it almost is kind of more racially motivated than really what's right here well there's, there, well, there's no question because after the shooting you had a number of the, the usual suspects who took to the streets and were demanding you know, justice for this young man and again complete investigation and the DA in Madison found no basis for, for at least criminal charges now criminal is different than civil of course Susie well, this is a trend throughout the country. If you look, you know, you have a case where there's a, a shooting and there may be some questionable police practices, although, you know, you don't know truly what the answer is. And in this case, this is a question, right? Well, but it, throughout the country, this is what happens. And then you have protests and you have very vocal people and the media covers it. And then you have a, an enormous settlement. So while it's three point something million in Wisconsin, if Cleveland had one last year for six million, a very similar situation, New York has had them for six million. It's a pattern. Right. And, and, and it's a problem because that's a lot of money and that's taxpayer dollar. I would have really liked to have seen um, this cop had, have his day in court. Right. And, and I think he wanted it too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, why see, we couldn't have a... You see, that, that's the thing that's frustrating. I, I understand as a recovering lawyer, I understand the whole, the, the term that uses settlement value. You, you know, you it costs some money to litigate and there's, of course, always the chance that you can lose. But every once in a while, you have to stand up on principle. And, and if you truly believe that your client did nothing wrong. And I guess my big concern moving forward is, what does this say to, if you're a city of Madison police officer, this says even if you do your job, you've got a target on your back. And now this was an extreme case. Somebody got killed. But this says, hey, anybody that's got a beef, they're going to sue. And and cops, we don't have your back. And it seems to me it makes you wonder, you know, how would the city of Milwaukee respond? How would, you know, the city of Green Bay respond? Probably the is, same way. Right? Is this <laughs> going to be the trend that even if they did nothing wrong, we're going to pay out? And the taxpayers yeah. ultimately pay because even if there's insurance, yeah. it's, you know, that you pay in that rate. I think that the society, though, is paying for this in term, not just in terms of the dollars, but in terms of their safety, because you are going to see the numbers of police officers go down because they are oh, sure. afraid to, to do their job. Well, and police practices will change. I think you're going to have, you know, they're going to be doubled up. I think moving forward, that officer should not have gone into that apartment by himself. He should have waited for, for an extra set of hands. Um, I Honestly, I don't know the answer to this, but what about tasers? Why are we shooting? Can't we use tasers? I, I don't know enough about this yeah, topic. Well, well, but well, in this case, I mean, the guy's he's going in to answer a call. It sounds like there's a struggle. You're in a narrow stairwell, and you get attacked. But but I, I do think, if we want to talk about big picture, I, I think this is one of those things that 
makes police officers' jobs much more difficult when if you if you get the impression that your community that your your management that the city doesn't have your back and I think you're starting to see this in some urban areas where Baltimore is a classic example you know after you have these charges against you know various Baltimore police officers in the the Freddie Gray case um, none of which end up getting convicted but what they find is police officers okay they stop being aggressive they stop saying okay look I under normal circumstances, maybe I would do this, but who needs the aggravation? And, they're they're going to stop doing their job. Right. And, and, and that we are all going to feel less safe if we know that, that the police aren't there doing their job. It, so this, this is, I think, a, a tragedy, what I think about the family. If they're walking away and saying, oh, $3.5 million, that seems like a good price, and I'm going to let this go. That that is a terrible message that we're sending in well, a terrible trend. It will it will you know obviously it's going to spark future protests and future big so settlements. Future, I mean, it's just, uh, loss, right? that, if we said, keep this up, it's it's a pattern that needs to be broken somehow. Yeah, I, I appreciate settlement value. This is one that I think is outrageous that they settled, and I think the police officer feels it's outrageous that they settled. All right, coming up, we're going to talk about a lawsuit against the city of Milwaukee police and a bigger picture. What do you do about crime? as well as the county pension system continues to be a train wreck. And eeny, meeny, miny, mo. stick around. It is 1141. Jeff Wagner, Susie Falk, Tracy Johnson. This is the WTMJ Week in Review. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, The Week in Review. We are live streaming. You can go to Facebook.com, 620 WTMJ, and see this. Uh, Susie Falk, Tracy Johnson, join me. Okay, the ACLU earlier this week filed a lawsuit against the city of Milwaukee challenging their stop-and-frisk practices. I want to talk about the bigger picture. Police Chief Ed Flynn comes out and says, look, we don't don't have quotas. We don't formally have a stop-and-frisk policy. But big picture... Our strategy to deal with crime is we go into high crime areas. We put a lot of cops on the street. We have the police go up and engage with people. If we're walking down, so we have them talk to people. We have them ask questions. And we also, we, we do quality of life things. If we see people that are driving with headlights out or taillights out, we stop the cars. We make inquiries. And the reason we do it is because a lot of times it leads to finding people who are committing or in the process of or have committed more serious offenses that's how we want to fight crime the result of that though is a lot of these areas because they're targeted in the high crime areas tend to be areas that are heavily populated by minorities so that's that's the issue susie um well i have i have several friends who are minorities and they have been pulled over or um talked to by a cop and and questioned and and detained and i think in one two cases they were frisked and they had done absolutely nothing and do you know how offensive that is how violated you feel and so i do see that there is that argument um i also see that this has not worked the stop and frisks in new york city where uh, I think it was in 2000. No, Rudy Giuliani well, disagrees you know, with you. 2013, uh, Rudy a federal court disagree. said that that was not constitutional to well, that, pull people okay, but, over. Okay, but we don't. Okay, but 
Right. We we don't well, that, we don't did, stop and fr- we we don't pull people. Well, you have to in order to pull people. You, well, there's you, I have no problem with going up. To, it, there's nothing against the law in a police officer going up and asking, "Can I talk to you?" Now the person can say no and walk away. But I guess Tracy, my question is, if you live in a high crime area. Don't you want a police presence? Don't you want yes. people trying to find if there's bad guys on the streets? Well, and and one of the things that that they're trying to do is create these relationships and this 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 feeling of safety within these neighborhoods. If I lived there and I was an upstanding citizen, I would want a police presence and I would want them to ask questions. I would want them to have a relationship with the with the neighbors. And you know, they they talk a lot about the don't the the um, not stop the reporting, and stop and frisk. You know, I, I I can't believe that officers are going up to people that they don't believe have drugs or a weapon or doing something wrong and just frisking them. And, and I'm not supporting that. It's just I can't well, believe that's happening. And if they are, it's because they've smarted off to the officer. They've act, acted defensive to the officer. And, and the situation escalates. And so right. that's where the problems come. And so... I just, yeah. I'm not seeing it, but I think that they still need to be vigilant. They need to ask questions and they need to not back down. I agree. And I think that, you know, it's not, it's not black or white. I think the truth lies somewhere in the middle. And I think there have been cases of, of inappropriate police contact conduct when they pull someone over. And, and, and I do think that it can escalate the problem. I also think that cops have a very hard job. I, I have cops who are friends and they tell me what they see. And, and you do, you do have sort of this attitude toward, you know, let's just check and double check because they've seen the worst of society. So but I guess it's kind not of, an easy answer. Kind of big picture. The, the three of us all live in the burbs. Okay, we, we do not live in high crime areas. Um, but at, at the same time, if there's if there and I don't I don't care what color the person is, if there is somebody driving slowly through my neighborhood at two fifteen in the morning, circling a block, and they've got a tail light out or whatever. I want the and again I don't it's, care I don't care for white, I, I want the police I would like the police officer to pull them over and to at least find out what they're doing are you casing this are you lost you know what what is this I guess I don't I don't find that normal interactions between police and citizens should necessarily be that that scary well but I think what it, what is happening is this overtone of racism and right. the fact is you have the highest the, the the most crimes in these certain areas of the city so you have more police police officers spending time so the numbers are supporting this whole this yeah. whole frenzy about sure. racism and i think that's a, a terrible so talk terrible your, situation you know I, I encourage you to have conversations with your your black your colored friends i have a friend who has a He's got a pretty serious face when he's not smiling. He calls it his resting face. He is always smiling because he says if he's not, he gets he he's always getting looks. He does get talked so to would by you. the cops. But, but, but no, you're no, I mean, if, too. no, I'm sorry. If I if I have my non-smiling face, which is <laughs> very often, I don't have cops coming up to me saying, "What are you doing in the Grand Avenue Mall?" I just encourage you to d- listen to those anecdotal st- stories because they are really, really. Un- this is a self-fulfilling prophecy, though. If we yeah. want it to be this way, I think we there needs to be more education. Okay, speaking of self-fulfilling prophecies, th- um, are, are either one of you Walking Dead fans? I used to be. I, I used couldn't to be. This last season. Blood and gore. I yeah. no. Okay, well, I mean, for, for people who don't know, Walking Dead, it's, I mean, it's, it's the, mo- the most popular show on cable TV. It's, 
it, the, the, the basic premise is zombies are taking over the world, and it follows groups of survivors as they try to make their way. Uh, some, I, I'm not a fan. Some, I, it's, I've just never gotten into it. Some people tell me it's, it's not really just a zombie thing. It's, because it's a metaphor for trying to struggle through the world. In any event, the, the villain of last season and this season is a character played by Jeffrey Dean Morgan um, who has a baseball bat that he wraps in barbed wire and that that's one of the ways he enforces order. He he goes and he, he hits people with the baseball bat. Named Lucille. New, Very important fact. Okay. <laughs> it is named it is named Lucille. Well anyhow, um the the scene at the end the the cliffhanger from last year is he had a lot of the characters lined up and with the bat he went he was deflecting which one he was going to kill. Bear with me. Eeny meeny miny mo. And then he, he ultimately did. All right, one of the marketing companies makes T-shirts that have the saying, eeny, meeny, miny, mo" and an image of the bat with the, the barbed wire. Mm-hmm. Um, the company has now been required to pull them because some people scream, this is incredibly racist because eeny, meeny, miny, mo" decades ago, um, it's eeny, meeny, miny, mo" catch a tiger by the toe. There, are, there might have been some people a long time ago who used a, a different word than tiger. Um, so now we have to pull this. All right, political correctness run amok, or is this incredibly racially insensitive? Susie? I'm 40-something, okay? We'll let, let it go there. <laughs> I, I went to a, um, a public school in Racine, and I remember being in grade school, and I grew up in a block, which is middle class, and we had two black families. And people were using, they actually did use that against the, the girl. The, yes, right. the N-word. Right. So I find it offensive. I, I have absolutely no problem with them pulling it. It is offensive. I think who the marketer who came up with the T-shirt probably was in his 30s, maybe 20s, well, and wasn't of an age where they had okay, those so, memories. So if, if I'm just, I just want to be, understand this. So if I'm, if, okay, let us, let us assume I'm invited to a home where there is a small child. And I decide to play eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Yep. I am racist because I have done that. Who plays that anymore? I, 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 Tracy? We, we say eeny, meeny, oh, miny, mo. Okay. I, I have to be honest with you. And maybe maybe I'm just naive. But Do you I, say more than that? Catch, catch a, tiger a tiger by, by the toe. toe. Okay. If he hollers, let, let him go. Eeny, eeny, meeny, miny, mo. You're also a decade younger than me. Okay, so are we? do we want to perpetuate this? I think I think it is political correctness run amok when you talk about the words. I will say the T-shirt. Sounds disgusting, just like. But, but for a different reason, <laughs> not for, for the racial reason. overtones, exactly. just for the whole notion. Yeah, but right. but um, I think I think they should be able to sell it, and I think this is very similar to the ESPN conversation we had last week in terms of we're letting social media drive this, we're letting people's perception. They're looking for reasons to call this out. See, and that's what's so frustrating. I, I accept that there's real racism in the world, but my God, I mean, for everybody out there that's playing eeny, meeny, miny, mo and continues to do this, this idea that you can't do it because somebody might, there might have been some racist interpretation 40 years ago. Oh, they could do it. Jeff, no one's saying they can't do it. Well, no, they but, choose not to. Well, okay, okay, that company, company chose not told, to. That company well, chose not to. Because, because they had pressure right. from right. people that were offended because, by it. Actually, it was one Which, or two people that are, oh, this is oh, racist. I and, so. Yeah, and, and People are afraid to stand up and say, this you know. is nuts. All you have to do is play the race card. One one squeaky wheel plays the race card, and everybody has to be afraid. Well, I don't think we need to. All right. It is 11.55. The Right Stuff Awards coming up next. Stick around. 11.57. It's the Week in Review. Right Stuff Awards. Susie Falk. 
Um, my right stuff is Justin Hurwitz, the Oscar-nominated, three-time Oscar-nominated no- Milwaukee guy. He is a graduate of Nicolet High School. You know I love Nicolet. And uh, so watch, um, watch him pick up, hopefully, one, two, if not three awards on Sunday. Tracy Johnson. My Right Stuff Award goes to the Lieutenant Governor, Rebecca Clayfish. I had the opportunity to be in a meeting with her yesterday, and she is just the real deal. Um, I think her Twitter handle is the real Rebecca for real, but um, she is so articulate, so well poised, such a great ambassador for our state. She's talking about the issues that matter, and she shows up. So I just I give her the Right Stuff Awards. I think we are in good hands. I think she's great. And my my award winner, you're going to hear more about this, um, his name is Jim Megalis. He is the most decorated officer in the history of the 82nd Airborne. He turns 100 next month. He single-handedly took out a German tank in Belgium with two grenades. He has been talked about as a potential recipient for the Medal of Honor through the last three administrations. Ron Johnson, Glenn Grothman, and me, we're working to get him the Medal of the Honor. Medal of Honor. He deserves it. Jim Megalis, you'll hear that name again. All right, we are out of time. Thank you, ladies. I appreciate your time. Um, I am back 8.30 Monday morning when we do this all again. Have a great weekend. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. WTMJ, weekly, WTMJ Today is coming up.